Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Have you ever uh, signed up for something, had access to something, and then forgot that you had access to it or realized you don't really need it? It's like my wife will not let me answer the door anymore when those little girls come um, because we have bought all kinds of things that we do not need. Like there's this endless supply of cookie dough and wrapping paper that shows up at weird times and sewing kits and nobody in our house sews, but um, just like weird stuff because I can't say no. And I'm kind of a marketer's dream. Like ESPN's brilliant. They launched this app a little while ago and they baited me into purchasing the app because there's like this one documentary that I wanted to watch. And so I watched the documentary five months ago. I have not clicked on that app again, but I'm paying $8 a month for it. Um, And so, and now that I'm talking about, I need to go cancel that after this service. But like, I'm, I'm terrible at that. So one day, Jesus is on a hillside with these guys, and, and I've talked about this probably a couple times a year. It's one of my most favorite um, narratives in the scripture. It's really the epicenter of why we're even here. Jesus with his guys, and he turns to his guys to say, hey guys, um, what is the word on the street about me? Like, who do people say that I am? And they came up with weird um, ideas of you're a reincarnated John the Baptist, or you're a prophet. And then Jesus stops him. He's like, no, no, no. But who do you say that I am? And this guy, Peter, who followed Jesus, um, had a rare moment where he got it right, And he turns to Jesus and Peter says, I believe, I believe, we believe, I think, I don't speak for these guys, we believe that you are the Christ, that you are the son of the living God. And Jesus knew where he got the answer, otherwise he would have been really surprised because Peter never got the right answer. He's always talking big and under-delivering. But in that moment, he got it right. Jesus, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to these guys after that statement and he makes another statement that they had no idea how dramatic it was in the moment. But Jesus says, hey guys, you just need to know on that singular statement that I am the Christ and I am the son of the living God. I'm gonna build a movement to the world because I'm about to peace out and go back to heaven. And it's gonna be called in the Greek an ecclesia, a gathering, a movement, a church, a body. And subsequently, every single person that decides to follow me from this point forward, whether they like it or not, or know it or not, they are going to become a part of this gathering, this body, this family. They're going to be given a part to play and the promise is I'm gonna build it if they do their part, not just individually, but collectively. And I am going to change the world. In fact, I'm gonna change it so much and I'm gonna give this movement so much power that not even the gates of hell and death are going to be able to overcome it. Not the crusades, they're coming. Not the inquisitions, I'll override those two and it'll keep trucking. Not crazy religious people, not nut job pastors, not ridiculous churches who are selling things in my name, not politics, not leaders who abuse their influence. There is nothing in all of culture or history that is going to override what I'm about to do because I'm gonna build my church to the world and that church is going to be my body. It is going to be me to plant planet earth. Just so you guys know. And the guys that are there have got to be thinking, are you, are you serious? Like, do you know how embarrassing we've been so far? Like wait till Easter weekend. 
It's gonna be off the rails. All of us are gonna run. One of us is gonna run out of the garden naked without any clothes on, because that's how scared we are. And, and you're talking about the fact that we're gonna launch this thing? And Jesus is like, yeah, and, and that's not all. You will also have complete. Not, not you, you, because you on your own are not that powerful, but you, as far as a body and a gathering and a movement, when you gather together around the name of Jesus and the fact that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and then you scatter to be light in culture, when you come together and play your part collectively and as a body, check this out, I'm gonna give you complete and free access anytime you want it to God's kingdom. And I love this. I love this language and I love how you describe this. I'm gonna give you keys. Church, collectively, this body, when you're on mission around Jesus, I'm gonna give you keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and between earth. You get the implication of that statement? Basically what Jesus is saying in that moment is, I am giving you access to tear away every barrier between heaven's reality and earth's dysfunction. I'm giving it to you. You have access to it. Like Jesus is like, you know why I came, right? That one day when I rolled up on Zacchaeus and he's in a tree and I'm like, get down from the tree and, and I wanna sing right now and I'm gonna resist the urge to sing right now. Like he's making a statement to the world of I'm gonna tear away every barrier and I'm gonna invite everybody in across every racial dividing line, every religious dividing line, every political dividing line. That day where I rolled up on Matthew and Matthew's trying to put down the blunt and I said, that's not in the Bible, but that's Matthew's way on the outside of the religious system. He's like, Matthew, follow me. I get it, and I saw that, but just follow me because I want the world to know that I am inviting every type of person imaginable and they can follow before they believe because this thing is so powerful, it can change any life and any human heart. And then that one day when I roll up on a woman caught in adultery and I make this powerful statement, I do not condemn you. It was a declaration to the world that I'm coming with a message that no sin and no dysfunction and no past can override my glory, my power, and my grace. And you, church, are going to be the stewards of that message. The kingdom of heaven has now come in Jesus, and the baton has been handed to the church to confront the kingdom of earth. And you know what the kingdom of heaven is, right? One day, the promise is that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. That one day, Jesus is gonna undo every injustice. One day, justice is going to come rolling down. One day, Jesus is going to handle dysfunction and put to get back together every dysfunctional relationship. Jesus is gonna lead people who don't understand their worth in culture, that they are made in the image of God, that God is going to do something to right every wrong. That's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus on that hillside is saying this, hey, I just want you to know, I'm not waiting for heaven. That one day kingdom starts being ushered in today on this hillside and every subsequent generation is going to take the baton and they will have the keys to access this kingdom of heaven to come and confront the kingdom of earth. And so Jesus says, I am not waiting for change. Change is here. I came and I walked out of a grave alive and I'm giving you my resurrection power. And where you find Jesus' body, just mark it down, you find power. You find power 
to overcome and handle any injustice, to break any stronghold, and to set any captive free. And so on that hillside, he says, you're the guys. And those who come behind you, who receive this message and this invitation to follow Jesus, they're going to be the group in their generation. And whether they know it or not, every single individual who names the name of Christ in their DNA, in their identity, as part of who they are, they will be the body of Christ. They will be this movement. And whether they play their part well is up to them, but I'm just telling you, this is what I've created you to do. And when you do it, not even the power of hell and death can overcome it. So here's my question for us, and not just us, us, but like us in terms of just the church in our generation. Why do we experience so little power? Why do we experience so little power? Like the, the point that Jesus is making on that hillside is it's not just you. This is not gonna be a solo search. It's gotta be a corporate identity. And in fact, if you don't step in to play your part and be who you are, which is a part of the body of Christ, then you are going to forfeit, I think, the full measure of all that God wants to do in your life. That what he wants to do in your marriage and in your home and in your workplace and in that dysfunction, it starts by being obedient to what he has put right in front of you. Hey, Bob, if Bob's in the room, you are the church. Bob, you are a part of this movement. This is your DNA. So step in to be who you are because this is the access point for my power. And everything I want to do out there starts in here as you gather together to receive what I promise. And then you scatter to be light and to change things around you. And those guys on that hillside, I love telling the story. They believed that. And they accessed it. And maybe you know the story. They sent the Roman Empire to their knees without ever lifting up a sword. And they began to invite women and kids who were marginalizing culture into their gatherings. And they began to wash the feet of people as they showed up to make it clear that this new gospel puts down every racial every socioeconomic dividing wall. They began to go into Colosseums and Zeus and Jupiter were inspiring people to kill. It was Jesus followers who were walking into those same Colosseums inspired to die. And they began to believe exactly what Jesus said. And that is, I have given you access and keys to the kingdom of heaven to confront the dysfunction of earth. And it's within your power to access them. And they did, and it changed the world. Where did that power go? Like for some of us, let's just be honest, and, and I find myself in this group, we don't even believe that God can change what's going on in our home right now, let alone the world. We're, we're in habits and dysfunctions where we've grown to the place where we're not sure if we can ever unwind from it, let alone God changing our city. Like where did that power go? But the promise remains the same. Jesus is going, I, church, not just you individually, I have given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven to meet the dysfunction in the kingdom of earth. Now, here's the thing about these guys, man. Here's what they understood better than we do is because those guys on that hillside, they had been with Jesus. They had heard Jesus talk. They knew the invitation that Jesus was offering and they knew what it required, that there was a prerequisite because over and over again, Jesus said, hey, if you wanna follow me, not just individually, but as this gathering called the church, you gotta give up your life. You've, you've gotta die to yourself. 
You've got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. You have to, the heart of the great commission, you have to go. You have to empty yourself of you in order to receive what I want to do in you. And if you live full, you will always be empty. And so over and over again, Jesus is going, if you want to follow me, you got to go. You got to step out. You have to walk by faith. You have to venture into the unknown. And so literally those guys on that hillside understood that if they were going to step into their calling, they would have to step out of their comfort zone because that's what it means to walk by faith. And Jesus is going, if you're ever going to access my power, it means that you have to come out of the familiar. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. Can we just talk about this for a second? And I'll probably um, talk about this more later in the series, is that Jesus' primary objective was not to show up and comfort us. I can tell that's not preaching well at the 1045 crowd. But he didn't. Jesus did not, I will say it again, Jesus did not come primarily to comfort us. In fact, what you see, now come on now, what, what you see is that Jesus came to confront like when Jesus showed up, everybody thought he was gonna take his rightful place with the religious leaders and he started dumping their tables over. Everybody thought Jesus was gonna show up and add to the religious system. Jesus deconstructed the religious system and then in very shocking language said, it's dead. I'm, I'm replacing it with something new and it's me. Jesus over and over again confronted the religious establishment with all these walls and divisions and groups that they created and go, there is something new that I'm bringing to the world because this is a message for all people. But Jesus' primary goal was to confront, not to make people miserable, but because Jesus understood for there to be real change, confrontation has to happen. Almost in any area, right? Like if you're gonna overcome an addiction and habit that you've been holding on to for a while, at some point a confrontation is gonna have to happen. You're gonna have to confront where you are. You're gonna have to confront what the real problem is. You're gonna have to confront maybe some embarrassing steps, but a confrontation is necessary for there to be healing. Same is true in many of our marriages. Like things are off the rails, things are disintegrating, intimacy isn't there. And at some point along the way, the one thing that we don't wanna embrace is the one thing that's gonna be the catalyst for healing. We've gotta confront some stuff. We gotta confront some stuff in us. We've gotta confront some stuff that we haven't owned. We've gotta confront some realities in our marriage. We gotta confront getting into counseling and doing some things that we never would have experienced in previous seasons. But in almost every area of life where there's change, there is confrontation. And so Jesus shows up to go, this is the essence of following me. Not because I wanna make you miserable, but on the other side of your discomfort is where you're gonna find your calling. It's where you're gonna find life. It's where you are gonna find destiny and church. It's where you're gonna find my power. The problem is, man, we don't want to have it that way. Like we want both. Like I want comfort and I want whatever God's calling is on my life. Like I wanna feel comfortable and I wanna experience God do something miraculous. And he's like, there really is just one choice. You're either going to opt for comfort and give up the keys to the kingdom or you're gonna opt for comfort and you're gonna give up calling, or you're gonna opt for comfort and give up all that I wanna do through the kingdom of heaven, but you can't have both. And that's tough, man. For a lot of us, like we just, in every area of our life, like we want abs and no planks. You want great sex in relationship, no sacrifice. 
Like we're just conditioned to, I, I want both. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. Until you step out of what is comfortable, you are never gonna step into my calling. And he's speaking all throughout the New Testament, mainly to this gathering in this church and us playing our part well. It's not just you individually. And so he says, I want you to come out because where you find a group of people who have gotten really used to the comfortable, you will not sense Jesus moving to do the powerful. You have to come out. And so one day Jesus through the writing of John, he writes to this church just 60 years later after this movement got started and began to change the world. Just 60 years later, Jesus writes through John. John's an old guy. He's on the island of Patmos. Um, he had, I mean, John was like close to Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, here's what I want you to tell this church. And it was this church in Laodicea. And he basically makes this whole point and he writes to the fact that every single Jesus follower and more important to what we're talking about, every single church, they're going to be tempted to drift in every generation toward what is comfortable. And they're gonna forfeit calling and they're gonna forfeit power. And he says to this church, like, I know that you are so amped up about the Pharisees and you think it's their problem or the oppression of Rome, or you think it's the religious system, or you think it's the devil. And Jesus is like, it's not any of those things. You're getting in your own way and you have grown so comfortable that there's no longer any power. And so through John, he writes this letter to this church and says like, this is the issue in verse 15 of Revelation three. And I know if like you're new to this whole thing, you're like, are you serious? You're starting in Revelation week one, but just, I don't have time to unpack this. Like there's not gonna be any flaming swords and horses and tattoos on the side, his thigh and all that stuff. So it's gonna be pretty uh, mundane and I'll come back to why I think there's answers to the, some of those questions. But let me, just, let me just admit this, it is weird, okay? So you read all the way through Revelation, I'm gonna affirm what you feel, it's weird. So Revelation chapter three, verse 15. Um, this is again, Jesus speaking through John, who's writing this toward the end of his life to the church in Laodicea, and I love this. I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. Like imagine Jesus basically a secret shopper at their church, he leaves and the debrief is, I don't really like anything about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't like anything. And he says, you're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. And I, I literally cannot read this verse without thinking of Shaq in an icy hot commercial. Like every time I read it, which means somebody's gonna buy me icy hot. Like every time I make a reference, like a few, this is a side note, but a few months ago, I referenced AI, Allen Iverson of like, we talking about practice? You know what I'm talking about, some of you in the room? And Lenny Moore, I don't know if he's in this service, bought me a shirt with Allen Iverson's mug and it just said, we talking about practice on it, which was amazing. Uh, that was an incredible gift. And then a few years ago, I made a Flavor Flav reference in one of my messages. And I don't know how I worked that in, but if you can do it, you should do it. And so I made a Flavor Flav reference and literally, no joke, um, this guy bought me this is legit, a autographed Flavor Flav clock and an action figure that I have hanging in my office. So, um, so I realized I need to kind of like, this verse reminds me of that BMW commercial um, <laughs> that,
All right, so I know you inside, and that has nothing to do with my message. I know you inside and out, and I find a little of my life, you're not cold, you're not hot, far better. You're just either cold or hot. Now, this is mostly misinterpreted because what he's not saying is like, just don't care or be on fire. That's not what he's talking about. Because hot and cold both serve purposes depending on what the situation is. And this is really, and it's a little in your face, but it's Jesus. He's come to confront, not so much to comfort. And so, hey, Laodicea, let me just give it to you straight. You are completely detached from knowing what is going on around you in culture. You have no idea. You don't know when to come in and be compassionate. And sometimes you're choosing compassion when you should be bold, or or I should say you're choosing passivity when you should be bold to confront injustice and confront race and confront what's happening in Rome. And then other times you're in a place where you're angry. You're angry at culture. You're angry with groups of people. You're angry at what's going on around you when you should be in a place of empathy. You're in a place where you're leveraging politics and you're trying to make things great again through a leader or a party when your hope should be in Jesus who has the only power to change a nation or a world or a human heart. And you're sitting around functioning in culture and you're showing up singing songs and you have no idea what is happening around you. You're not even clued in. You're showing up and answering questions that nobody's asking. You're responding to issues that you don't understand. And I think there's some parallel for us to say this as humbly as I can in a post-Christian culture increasingly where people are not leaving the church, they already left. And in some cases, we have no idea how to engage with what's going on around us. And Jesus' point to these guys were, hey, I know you keep showing up every week, but you don't know when to come with compassion. You don't know when to come in hot and confront. You don't know what's going on around you. You don't seem to know how to respond, or maybe worse than that, you don't seem to care. And the issue is that you have grown so comfortable I don't know if you have this issue. Um, we have several kids. I got six, four, two years old that most of you know if you've been here for like three weeks. But we have these little sippy cups that they use, at least the younger ones use. And we have like 300 of those and we can only find three in our, our cabinet at any given time. Um, and we just keep buying more and they keep disappearing. And so we always have this thing where particularly Braxton, he's like two years old in the backseat. Um, and we should wean him off of this, but he's like a big milk drinker. And so he doesn't have his milk and you're trying to find it where my cup go and he starts to cry because he's two and you're searching around it. Okay, find it, here you go. And this has happened more than um, one time where I give him his drink as I'm driving and I'm trying to get him to shut up and he grabs it and starts to drink and then the chunks of milk start coming out of the cup because like that was milk from four weeks ago. So there's that cup, there it is. Um, and then like several times, like we had this incident last week and I know I need to go quick and, and lunch is gonna be after this for a lot of you guys, but this, this will be the last part. But where I'm trying to step in, my wife wasn't feeling well and to help her out. And so we have one of the kids that lost their lunch. And um, so I'm rushing in and I'm gonna help her out and be the loving husband that I am sometimes. And so I, I rush in there and I'm trying, and then literally it's so embarrassing. I start dry heaving um, in, you know, in this space to the point of, okay, the last thing I'll say, I'll move on is like, then all my lunch came up and my wife just rushes in to go, okay, would you get out of here and stop helping me right now, please? Like, just leave and do not come back. And so I did. And so 
Jesus is like, I don't think it actually went down with this, like this, but Jesus with John, and he's like, man, how do I describe like my feelings? How do I use language that like ramps up the emotion of, of just like what I feel? And he uses the, they had an aqueduct system that, you know, created this water that was really, so he's like, you're stale, you're stagnant. Like, John, how do I, I say that? Okay, I got it, write this down. You make me wanna vomit. <laughs> Laodicea. So there's not a thing I liked about your church service and you just, you make me sick. And it's kind of harsh language, but here's what Jesus is saying. Do you know what you've been given? Do you know what I've put in your hands? Do you understand the promise on that hillside is available to you that you have the keys to access the kingdom and there's stuff that's going on all around you and you either don't know what's happening, you don't know how to respond, you're showing up and there is no power, there's nothing inspirational, there's nothing miraculous happening, but dang it, you love the music and the preaching's awesome and you found your seat and you get some coffee on the way in and then you go get brunch on time and everything things seems great, but you are showing up with all of the keys to the kingdom to change what is going on around you. And you're sitting there comfortable and you have no idea. And it just kind of makes me sick. Are you serious? And John's got to be thinking as he's writing this, like, do you know, guys, do you know how this thing started 60 years ago? Do you understand after those guys saw Jesus raise from the grave, rise from the grave, that they, they went out in the streets to, to proclaim this message of salvation and hope at the risk of their lives, that they went to what they called dung hills and they, re they rescued little baby girls who were discarded. They created a place for the marginalized and poor. They literally met together every single day and they broke bread and they even shared their possessions together and they were willing to give up and sacrifice almost anything, including their lives. And now 60 years later, you're just chilling and you are so comfortable and things are decaying around you and people are dying around you and you don't even seem to notice. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and he confronts the issue. Because church, you brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anybody. See, here's the insidious thing about comfort is that comfort always blinds. Like for some of us even right now today that there's something in some previous season of our life that we were really uncomfortable with and, and now we just have kind of settled in and we don't always like what it does, but we just have become comfortable. Like it's just kind of like a Snuggie we wear. Like we, we gossip and we talk about people and we, we know that you know it, we shouldn't and we don't always like what it does in terms of our soul, but we've just kind of settled in and it's one of the ways that we deal with, what, with what's going on inside of us and around us. And we literally have just kind of grown comfortable in a comfortable dysfunction function. For some of us, we've, we've gone to escapes of clicking on or drinking or, or moving in a place where emotionally we distance ourselves. And all of a sudden we're at a place where now that becomes the pursuit of our comfort. And we live in this space and live with this thing that we kind of know there's something to it, but we've just kind of grown comfortable in a dysfunctional comfort. We're just good with it now because comfort always 
blinds. And so he says, you're rich. You got it made, not just physically, though Laodicea was a wealthy place, but spiritually, you're good, man. You know where you're going. You, you know about this message. Forget Rome, forget the Pharisees. You, you're just kind of living large and you're showing up and going through the motions, but end of verse 17, you're oblivious to the fact that you're pitiful. This is Jesus. And you're a blind beggar and you're threadbare and you're homeless. In essence, to them and to us, the greatest enemy to your faith is not fear. The greatest enemy to your faith is familiarity. And here this group of followers of Jesus were showing up every single week and they were going through the motions, but they had grown to a place where they just think, I'm good, I'm good. I found my seat, I'm comfortable, I know what I believe, I'm struggling with some stuff, but you know what, we all struggle with some stuff and you show up and suddenly, and this is what's so dangerous in our generation, you start to become a kind of a country club church and you start to create groups of people and individuals on the outside and without knowing it, you start to construct walls because the first thing to go is empathy and suddenly you don't realize that the grace and the power and the love of Jesus that you needed the moment you decided to transfer your trust and follow him is the same grace and the same power and the same energy that you need today and that without Jesus, you are hopeless, you are blind, you are a beggar, you have nothing, but with Jesus, you have everything. And when you understand that the grace and love you needed at that moment is the same grace and love that you are desperate for right now, I'm telling you, it tears down every wall. You're invited in regardless of your sexual orientation or what you're smoking or your religious background background or where you've been because I've encountered Jesus and I know who I am without Jesus. And suddenly in that place, you are desperate. You are desperate for Jesus, love, Jesus, grace, following Jesus in every area of your life. And you are so inclined to invite other people in because you know who you are and the playing field has been leveled. And it's just Jesus and his power and his grace and everybody else. And so Jesus, as he's writing this church, is like, let me, just, let me just remind you. Hey, church, let me just remind you. Not just you individually, you as a, a corporate body. Let me, let me just remind you the same promise on that hillside still exists. Here I am. Here I am. Hey, hey, church. Here I am. Like you... You are overwhelmed by the stuff around you or maybe in culture that's flying out of control. Here I am. You're overwhelmed by some things where dysfunction has set in and you don't think there's any way out or, or you're overwhelmed with what's happening in, in your context. I, you just need to know, here I am. Church, you keep showing up but there hasn't been anything significant that's happened for a while. There's been no miracles going on in your life. There doesn't seem to be the same power that Jesus described on that hillside or you saw in that initial church. He's like, hey guys, here I am. Not just Laodicea, every subsequent generation. Hey church, my promise still stands. Here I am. And then I love this. This is 
one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of scripture because this is not written to an individual and it's not written to people who haven't embraced Jesus. And my hope today, as you lean in, if you're not there, that you would embrace what Jesus has for you. But this was a specific calling to a church, to a gathering of individuals who understand that they're a body in every generation. The only application of this is a corporate application. He says this to this church and to us. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, you feel like the dysfunction of earth is being not overwhelmed, but is overwhelming the kingdom of heaven, that's a good time to listen up. You feel like the church is impotent and powerless and you haven't seen anything happen for a while, that's a good time to listen up. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, what's the last two words? I will come in. This is what's terrifying to me. They were showing up as a church because he's talking about this in corporate terms as they gathered together for strength and played their part. And then as they scattered into their city and neighborhoods, they were showing up every week and they were singing songs and they were raising their hands and they were head nodding to, yeah, I believe that with no idea that God wasn't present in their midst. Not that theologically he wasn't there, but his presence and his power had left a long time ago. And here's what's so subtle for me and for you and for us is that the enemy is so unbelievably brilliant that it wasn't that the Laodicean church disbelieved or abandoned God. They believed what they always believed, but they had moved into the place where they had grown so comfortable that they were showing up every week and they were singing songs and they were coming to encounter Jesus while simultaneously shutting him out because complacency and familiarity had settled in and Jesus' power started to run out. And so here's my question for us as I get ready to land this. How will we know? How will we know if we grow too comfortable? How will you know? if you grow too comfortable. There's probably like 10 things, but it's just three things that I'm gonna land on as we close. I think the first one is this, we stop seeing and praying for the miraculous. Like when was the last time you saw God do something in your life, in your community groups, as you showed up to lift up the name of Jesus and the only explanation for it is God. You couldn't have done it. You couldn't have manufactured it. Nobody could have manipulated it. It was something that you look at and God came through and God opened a door and God rained down power. And there's no explanation other than God. And I just wanna to preach to us as a church that the same power that showed up on Pentecost when the church started this movement that saw thousands of people come to know Christ and then Peter runs out into the streets bold, willing to give up his life because he believes so much, not in the teachings of Jesus exclusively, but in the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. That same resurrection power is available to us today. When was the last time we, we sat and bowed our knees in prayer to go, okay, God, bless me and help them get the education and keep them safe and help that to work out and please push back soccer practice and all the stuff we pray about. But I'm coming to you and I'm asking you, would you stretch me? 
Would you do something in my life that cannot happen any other way than me accessing the keys to the kingdom and watching you bring power into my church, my marriage, my group, my city, my boardroom, where I can walk away and there's no explanation. It was just the resurrection power of Jesus and I decided to access the keys. When when was the last time? The second thing is this, is we spiritually consume, but we don't spiritually engage. All of us want purpose and power, but a lot of us want that purpose and power on the backs of somebody else's sacrifice and on the backs of somebody else's financial generosity and on the backs of somebody else's service and giving their life away. And I just, I wanna remind me and remind us that, that you are Jesus' body. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are Jesus' body. This is your DNA. You are a part of this movement. Whether you're playing your part well or not is irregardless. You have been called to this. You have been positioned for this. You have been placed in this family and in this gathering, in this movement that is to rep Jesus' body. And I think until you step in to do what God has called you to do, you will forfeit the full measure of all that God wants to bring and the power he wants to bring in your life because what he wants to do in your marriage and in your neighborhood and in your market share and in your business, it starts with you being who you are. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna sacrifice and I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna realize that I am a part of this. And if I am Jesus' body, it means that every part serves, every part sacrifices, every part gives their lives away for the sake of one another because we are Jesus' body and we don't do it when soccer practice gets canceled or our 401k gets fatter or we have more to offer or things calm down with our kids. We are called to this right now and I think we forfeit the power of God when we spiritually consume. I like 72 degrees. I don't like that song. He made me laugh. He went too long. I think they should change this. They need to update this. I don't like the way they said that. I don't like how they construct that and come to a place to realize this is not about me. And so I'm going to step in to serve and be who God has called me to be as part of this movement because as long as we are spiritually consuming, I think we're in the place of Laodicea and things are comfortable and it all looks the same and nobody would know and we may be even patting each other on the back, but Jesus' power And the keys to the kingdom and all that God wants us to access, it ran out a long time ago. And we didn't even know it. And I think the third thing is the way that we'll know and you'll know is we start asking me-centered questions. I think this has been one of the biggest obstacles to the church in our generation that we've constantly adopted this kind of Old Testament model of thinking that was all about the vertical. Me and God, God, we good, God, we good, God, we good, God, everything's okay. God, I did my quiet time, God, I prayed. And somehow we think that we can just do this solo thing when Jesus came to say, no, 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 I'm placing you as part of a body and now the game has changed. It's not about bringing a sacrifice and making sure that you're okay with God. It's about one another. And I want you to one another, one another. And so if you want to know if you understand God's love and that you're loving God the way I've called you to, it's not not about the vertical, it's about the horizontal. And it is not until you engage and you gather together and you break bread and you give away and you figuratively wash the feet of other people and you sit with kids to anchor the gospel of Jesus Christ in their hearts and you tear away every single barrier for our culture in our generation that you receive the power of God and all that God wants to do in your life because this is the heartbeat of
to following Jesus. If I love you, I'm gonna love you. And I'm not gonna tell you I love you. I'm gonna engage with my brothers and sisters and I'm going to show you that I love you. And I think you start to know where you're at the moment you start listening to your questions. Like, how does this, how does this affect me? How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? What do I like about this? Hey, all those things are legitimate. At the end of the day, that's not the primary focus. What if you shifted the questions as how does this, whatever it is, have the opportunity to magnify the fame and the renown of Jesus? How can I step out of what is comfortable for me for the sake of the one? God, how can I get uncomfortable for the sake of encountering your power? Because it's the moment when I step out of my comfort zone that I step into all that you want to do in this gathering, in this city, in this neighborhood, and in my life. And so God, I wanna invite it. I'm not praying lame prayers any longer. I'm gonna start to pray some prayers that cause my knees to wobble. God, stretch me. God, move me. God, take me out of what is comfortable. God, set something before me where I get the privilege and the opportunity to sacrifice for the name of Jesus. Because accessing my power and God's destiny, all that he wants to do is on the other side of that. And so as I close, the invitation that Jesus gave to that church 60 years into that movement has been the invitation in every generation and it's the invitation to us. Here I am, here I am. And I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And what creates so much angst in me is that there a generation of churches showing up and going through all of the motions, so pleased with themselves, doing all the things that they've always done, singing all of the songs, amening to all of the messages, finding their seats, playing their game, and then going and doing their thing. And they keep showing up every week feeling great, and they have no idea that the place where they're gathering to lift up the name of Jesus has lost the presence and the power of Jesus, and he's on the other side of the door where they're gathering. And so he says, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock, and then I, I love this. Jesus on the hillside, this is what he meant when, in Matthew 16, 19, when he said, you have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. And the keys that access that kingdom and his power are on the other side of our comfort. And they're on the other side of your comfort. And I just wonder, and I'm gonna land this plane, I just wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if us, speaking to us as a corporate gathering in church, this body, this movement, this ecclesia, I wonder what would happen if we were willing to risk anything. Like, I wonder what would happen if we were willing to pray for miracles. And I'm not talking about some ridiculous, if we just believe it, God's gonna do it. God's not a genie in a bottle. We're not talking about lassoing him, but I'm talking about the fact that he's promised to bring his power. And if the church is not the place where we're seeing the epicenter of God's power and miracles being formed, then I think we missed something somewhere along the way. Well, what if, what if we showed up and hundreds of people, even this weekend, who are sitting in the place to spiritually consume, that hundreds began to spiritually engage and serve and give their life away? What would God do?
What would God do if, if we became a disciple-making machine and it wasn't even so much constructed, it was just people that did what the first church did. I'm gonna get together around other brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm gonna prioritize it. I'm gonna give some of me away. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna sit in a circle with you. I'm, I'm gonna anchor this incredible message. I'm gonna greet you. I'm gonna give financially. I'm gonna be there when you're in a hospital and you need somebody to be the body of Christ. What if we had hundreds of people that stepped into that? What if we planted campuses because this is a multiplying movement? And we're just getting started to go, this is a message for all people. Everybody needs to hear. What if we sent missionaries? What would God do if we were that kind of church? What if God, what would God do if you were that kind of person that made up that church? And here's the thing, I think we already know. Jesus on that hillside said it, I will build my church and all of the powers of hell will not conquer not the hell of mental illness, not the hell of abuse, not the hell of hypocrisy, not the hell of Christians who judge more than they love, not the hell of leaders who abuse influence, not the hell of addiction, not the hell of suicide, not the hell of people who are without hope, not the hell of a culture that is out of control. Jesus on that hillside said, there is no power, not even the power of the worst hell imaginable that can overcome the power of Jesus. When you say, I, as a gathering, as a church, I'm gonna take the keys to access the kingdom of heaven and I'm gonna allow it to confront the kingdom and the dysfunction of this earth. And Jesus' invitation to every generation, to Center Point Church, this is available to you. So, hey, church, I've come and I've made a promise. I am going to over ride literal hell because I don't know if you know it I have another set of keys too they're the keys to death hell and the grave one day death is going to be openly mocked one day everything that keeps us captive it's going to bow its knee in humiliation to Jesus resurrection power I have given all of that to you and I've come to overpower literal hell and crush Satan under my heel but I've also come to free you from the hell that you are walking through and when you decide to take these keys and to step out of what is comfortable and to put you second and his mission and his glory first. I will do in you and through you what you cannot even imagine because I made a promise on a hill. I will build my church and the gates of hell and death will not stand against it. So here I am and I'm standing at the door and knocking and I'm inviting you because the church has been the epicenter for Jesus' power for 2,000 years and it will be until he comes back and takes us home. And so as we close, I wanna give the invitation that Jesus gave and I, I wanna give it to this group, I wanna give it to you online, listening via radio, wherever you're at. I love Jesus' words put so well in the message translation when he says this. This is the verse that I skipped right before, here I am and I'm standing at the door and knocking. This is what Jesus gives us, this promise of, hey, listen, I've come to confront you. Because in that confrontation, out of your comfort zone, I'm inviting you into something so much better. And he says this to these people and to us 2,000 years later, the people I love, I call to account. I prod and I correct and I guide so that they will live at their best. Up on your feet, 
about face and run after God. Run out of your comfort and run toward my power. And so the invitation of Jesus is kind of old school and it may not be in the context of what you experienced or maybe how it was manipulated to you in the past, but the about face is, I'm just calling a bunch of you to just repent, which just means change your thinking, turn around your direction, take a step, whatever it is that is right in front of you. And my promise is when you are obedient with what I put right in front of you, which is I've called you to serve, where you serve in my body. I've called you to constantly ask the question, where do you wanna stretch me? And you take action today, you take action right now. The promise is I'm gonna do something in your life, but it causes you to bow your knee to Jesus, to go, Jesus, I have set some things in the way that shouldn't be in the way. And I've been carrying these around and we've been carrying these around, but we're not seeing any of your power and it stops today. So I repent, I turn around, I about face and I'm gonna run after you, which means I'm gonna run toward your power and your life and your destiny and your will. And I think it's gonna change my life, but I also think it can change our neighborhood and city because you promised that you are going to build your church. And so all over the room, if that's you, that's the invitation. Stand up, about face, run after God. Wherever you are, if that is you in this moment, stand up, about face, and run after God. Stand up, about face, and run after God. God, where do you want me to engage? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to play my part? And where do you want to stretch me? all over this room for those who are standing right now as a declaration that God, I want you to move. God, I want you to bring your power. I want to be willing to engage what even in this moment I am so uncomfortable with. There's something right in front of me that I know is gonna stretch me and I know it's gonna cause me to have to walk by faith. But the very thing that I have been resisting is the very epicenter of all that you wanna do in us and in our life. So God, I pray right now for power. I pray for clarity. I pray that even in this moment, I would, I would with arms wide open, receive your correction and your guidance because I wanna live at my best and I wanna have life to the full. And so God, right now in this moment, whether we're in the room or even responding somewhere, literally around the world, I pray that those who are up on their feet that are ready to physically make the declaration that they're running after God, that even today you would give them what they need to do, what you are calling them to do. And God, I pray for us as a church that none of us, none of us are on a solo search. This is about us as a gathering and as a body. And we in our generation, I don't think we can avoid this. We have become so complacent, specifically in the West, we have become so comfortable we have become so familiar even with the radical nature of your grace. And I pray today in this moment, you would move us out of that. And God, you would do something in and through this movement and this gathering that can only be explained by you. And I pray this in the incredible resurrecting power of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? 
And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org. 